On the Empire Podcast this week, Jack Whitehall pops into the pod booth to talk about his bad education movie and much, much more while there's usual array of movie news and nonsense. All that on the movie podcast that misses Ali Plum's musk. Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt. Welcome to the Empire Podcast. If I'm counting correctly, and I think I am, this is the 175th Empire Podcast, which means there's just... Um, hang on, can carry the three... Uh, the four. 25 to go until our 200th, <laughs> which is amazing. Amazing maths as well. 200th. And, and hey, hey. Hey. Just 825 to our 1,000th podcast, which will be taking wow. place live podcast on Alpha Base, which is on Mars. Oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. yeah. And so Matt Damon will be our special guest. Matt Damon will be our special guest. It's going to be awesome. Uh, He's going to be talking about being Mars's leading botanist. <laughs> Hang on, I'm trying to work this out. A thousand podcasts, uh-huh. one a week. We're uh-huh. 175. It's taken us three and a half years to get there. So if we do another 825, that'll be... We'll be dead. Yeah. Or insane. Or both. Uh, speaking of insanity... Thanks. <laughs> in the interest of a <laughs> seamless segue, uh, I'm joined this week by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek queen, a lady whose love of dragons and supernatural is so renowned across the globe that when she recently visited the set of a major motion picture, one of the screenwriters greeted her with a Winchester joke. Isn't that right, Helen O'Hara? It is, yes. That is correct. So Your reputation precedes you. <laughs> I know you're listening, major Hollywood screenwriter. <laughs> Hello, how are you doing? Thank you for listening to our ridiculous podcast. But that's cool. It was awesome. Although cool. I kind of then sat there thinking, I'm not used to interviewing people who know more about me than I do about them. But that luckily wasn't the case because you did your research. I did my research. Mm-hmm. But I think we've probably revealed a lot about ourselves in these podcasts. Helen O'Hara, who lives at... <laughs> and whose phone number is... <laughs> it's a strange phone number. Mm. <laughs> Um, we're filling <laughs> at the moment. A little bit. Because Phil Dissemlian is late. Uh, I had a gag written for Phil. It was about a man whose love of subtitling is so renowned that when he visited the set of Dad's Army for a scene in which Toby Jones speaks German, they allowed him to add his own subtitles with hilarious results. It's Phil Dissemlian. And then Phil would go, ah, as he usually does, because he doesn't like being pigeonholed. It's a guy who loves art house movies. And then sure. every week he bangs on about Werner Herzog and Christoph Kozlowski <laughs> and, and just, you know, hoists himself by his own petard. But he's not here. Let's crack on. Me and you, Helen. <laughs> Fist bump. Brave New Dawn. Empire Podcast Phase 2. Two begins, people. Begins right here. The EPCU. All right, we have a question. And this is from at Ewan Sutty. What's the best movie with film, movie, or the movie? <laughs> In the title, My Vote, the Lego Movie. Well, by opening it up to the movie, then there's only one answer, isn't there? Yes, anything but Mrs. Brown's Boy's the movie, I, I would have thought. Any film that is the movie pronounced by an Irish person that isn't Mrs. Brown's Boy's the movie, I think would be the answer to, to that leg of the question. I have a logical problem with right. Mrs. Brown's Boy's the movie. Okay. Have you seen it yet? I, I, you know what? I haven't. I've been meaning to make time. Holy cow, it's Phil Dissemlian! Hooray! We decided we, we just had to go ahead. Can I make an apology for why I'm late? Can yeah, I explain? I've, yeah, just been at the, I've just been interviewing the cast members, Tom Courtney and Charlotte Rampling. And the director, Andrew Hay, of 45 Years, uh-huh. which will be on the website in the week of release. Fantastic. Uh, it's a very, very good movie, so you should see it. Fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us, Phil. So we were we were just in the middle of Ewan Sutty's question, the best movie with film, movie, or the movie in the title. I had a logical question about Mrs. Brown's Boys, the movie. Right. So Helen, right. you and I, Helen from the Emerald Isle, okay, yes. where the word film 
is said more often than movie. That's true. So why isn't it de film? Yes, if people would understand de, why would they not understand film, which is how a normal person says the word, which is clearly mm. spelled with five letters, F-I-L-U-M. That's how you That's spell right. it. I do so. double L. Double L. I do double L. Well, either way. Movie. And this is why we've been fighting for so many years. <laughs> <This is laughs> it's all about the, the spelling of one word. So you and Sati said uh, his favourite film is the Lego movie. Good choice. Any others? I have weirdly been thinking this week about Santa Claus the movie. I know that's not oh, very seasonal. Here's why. I did an interview with Danny Houston for his new film Pressure which is out this week on limited release Pressure and uh, his first directing credit because he started as a director and then became an actor actor kind of by accident uh-huh. his first directing credit was the making of Santa Claus the movie no way yes no way so he was on set of Santa Claus the movie the whole way through and I just that just delights me for reasons I can't quite explain so hang on Danny Houston's here right now in is the in UK, London? yes. That's amazing because John Lithgow, who is, of course, BZ, the evil toy maker, who dies, frankly, a horrible yeah, death. He does. In Santa Claus, the movie, not to give too much away, but he basically floats into space where you'd imagine they don't, they don't show him dying, but he will die. And it's just horrible when yeah, you think about it. He doesn't deserve that death. Uh, John Lithgow is in London right now because he's shooting <gasps> The Crown. Yes, I believe Winston, that's right. uh, He's yes. playing Winston mm-hmm. Churchill in a big Netflix series. So yeah. can we get Danny Houston and John Lithgow together is basically what I'm saying. For a Santa Claus the movie reunion of some sort. Spoiler podcast. Oh, well, sure. Danny anyway. <laughs> and John, I'm sure you're listening because... <laughs> Frankly, why wouldn't you be? If you uh, do hear this, then do get in touch. We'd love to have you in. Maybe bring David Huddleston, who plays Santa Claus, as well. Uh, sadly, Dudley Moore is unavailable. Is that the worst movie death in a children's film, do we think? Being flattened by a house isn't the greatest way to go. Yeah. Is, is Jurassic World a, a children's film? Yeah. I don't think it counts in quite the same bracket. Or a festive children's film. Festive, yeah. children's, <laughs> festive film. children's film. I've been thinking a lot recently about people who float away to their deaths in movies, because I, I, uh, for a thing for Twitter last night, I was writing steamy fan fiction about what would happen if John Favreau's character in Deep Impact met George Clooney's character in Gravity. Uh, there was a lot of grasping of helmets. <laughs> and I just wonder if, you know, in Chapter 4... Of John your... Lithgow pops up wow, and it yes. all gets a little bit menage à trois. Back to the question. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I would also like to mention this film is not yet rated, uh, which is a very good documentary on the rating system. Okay. Which ironically was itself not rated for a very long time. <laughs> this is true. Um, Phil, go on, get out of the way. <laughs> why, why are you... Get out of the way. Why? A short film about killing. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's better than that. Jafar Panahi, the Iranian mm-hmm. filmmaker, was banned by the Iranian government for making subversive movies. So he made a film called This Is Not A Film. Well, there you go. So that's my oh, pick. Very there you good. go. Because he was banned and the people that made scary movie franchise weren't banned. What world is what just <laughs> what just world is that? In fairness, the Wayans brothers don't deserve to be banned for the scary movie franchise. No, I don't think they do either, but Which was then taken over by David Sucker. That's not bad. That's that's okay. Mm. It's the epic movies, the disaster movies. Uh, I think it's Friedman and Salzburg. Just appalling. Uh, I'm going to throw some in. Superman the movie. What a film. What if, a film. If you say Star Trek the motion picture, Star I am Trek going to have to picture. throw I'm something. I'm not. But we now live in a time where that happens so rarely. If it happens, it's quite ironic. So the Inbetweeners movie, Mrs. Yeah. Brown's Boys the movie, the Lego movie. I, I want a more innocent time when Santa Claus could have the movie, Superman could have the movie. Uh, Marvel should be looking at this. It should be Suicide Squad. The movie. Just to show it's going to be light and fun. The Muppet movie 
surely. The Muppet movie, yeah. Mm, or the Muppet, Great Muppet Caper. That doesn't have the movie. It doesn't answer the question, Phil. I'm just naming Muppet movies now. Uh, The Inbetweeners movie, the Care Bears movie. The Care Bears movie. Care Bears movie. I was so excited for that when I was tiny. I watched that six times in one day when I was a kid. I looked it up on Netflix recently to see. I loved this as a child. How good were my critical facilities? Turns out, not good. I made it through four minutes and then was like, this is awful and turned it off. There we have it. Phil, let's see Werner Herzog's Care Bears movie. (laughs) (laughs) I would watch that. That one I would watch. Grizzly Bear. Fritz Caraldo, the movie. Um, right, okay. I think we've answered that to everyone's satisfaction. So, yeah, if you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, then you can uh, tweet us at Empire Magazine and you can use the hashtag Empire Podcast. You can email us podcast at empireonline.com and you can Facebook us Empire Magazine. So, movie news. Naturally, the minute we went up last week, uh, D23 happened. Yes, D23 this year. Started off, I mean, the first day was animation and that was pretty exciting. But the big <laughs> news happened the following day, which was like live action Palooza, which featured obviously the Marvel Cinematic Universe it had Chris Pine's big rescue movie Chris Pine's a brave guy why why is that? because their finest hours which is the movie he's in the Disney movie he's Mm -hmm. in directly followed the Marvel presentation Captain America Civil War so Chris Pine has chosen his side he is now part of the DC movie universe where he of course plays Steve Trevor in uh, Wonder Woman and he was following directly Chris Evans and Anthony Mackie uh, on stage he's a brave man because they could have boxed his ears you think they'd box his ears? Ears? They could have they could have boxed his ears and and bloodied his nose. Steady on. Anyway, so he was there for that. Marvel, the big news was some Doctor Strange concept art and, and sort of sizzle, which got people sizzling. And uh, and then this, the Captain America Civil War footage blew everybody away. And all I've done is see descriptions of what happened and I'm still a little bit giddy. What happened? Oh. Well, we don't want to give it away too much, but okay. basically uh, Cap explodes. Which is a, which is a, <laughs> this is a turn up, isn't it? It is a bit of a turn up. This is up, first really. act development. Bit of a turn up, yeah. Yeah, it turns out he's allergic to peanuts. And his super metabolism means he explodes when he I, eats I feel like you may have been reading fanfic again rather than the actual footage reading summary. Reading Helen or writing? <laughs> it was mostly um, Cap. Black Widow and Falcon working together with Red Wing, which is now a drone which Falcon uses to to get into places he's too big to fit, to investigate Crossbones, uh, who was of course played by Frank Grillo last time and has now come back in even dangerouser form. <laughs> it's a word. And uh, yes, he's he's in a in a suspicious vehicle, uh, which you and I <laughs> what does that mean? Oh, like a Prius. <laughs> No, like a van parked in like an area which might... With crossbones written on it. Yes. Going to F you up, Captain A. (laughs) So that was a big action scene. We also saw the Vision in a very nice suit. Uh, Scarlet Witch, Hawkeye, Black Panther in his costume. He's obviously the big new Marvel Mm -hmm. hero who's being introduced. First Marvel hero, somebody pointed out to me recently, who hasn't been introduced in his own film to then go on and get a film, Hmm. you know? Which is interesting, but makes a lot of sense. William Hurt's Thaddeus Ross, who of course we all remember for the, from The Incredible Hulk, is back, I think, because they needed a, a militaristic figure and they thought, hey, we have one in our back catalogue, let's use him. I like that. Um, yes, we also see Bucky, who, as we know from the Ant-Man post-post-post-credits find, has turned up again. Uh, we do see Cat versus Tony uh, a little bit, just like a war of words at that point. Mm. And we also see Ant-Man meeting the gang and being a little bit starstruck. So mm. that's lovely. So yeah, Captain America Civil War shaping mm. up very nicely indeed. But there was loads of other stuff as well, wasn't there? There was Jungle Book, there mm. was Pirates of the Caribbean 5, where Johnny Depp turned up um, still trapped in his Jack Sparrow costume. <laughs> uh, a mouth silently 
help me. Help me. <laughs> it is consuming me. And, uh, oh, wait, there was one other one. Um, Star Wars? No. Star Wars, yeah, Star- I think Star Wars Oh, Star Wars, Wars the movie. There. Star Wars the movie was there. And Star Wars the movie Rogue One. Mm-hmm. And uh, Star Wars the episode nine. Mm. Um, we're all there. Colin Trevorrow was confirmed as the director of Star Wars Episode 9 following his enormous success with Jurassic World and Star Wars Rogue One they unveiled the cast Felicity Jones slings her blaster in the same way that Han Solo does so that's looking rather promising Hmm. so yeah Yeah, that was D23 yeah roughly there's there's some scuttle about that because Diego Luna is in the cast of Rogue One he's Mm -hmm. in that that shot you see which looks very suitably dirty and scuzzy as it would be taking place around the time of A New Hope Uh, because he's got Tash some people are speculating that he's Big's Darklighter. <gasps> but I'm not sure that works. Maybe he's playing the same character he played in Itu Mama Tambien. In an I mean, unprecedented crossover. That would be unprecedented, so fingers crossed for that, Phil. Yeah. Itu Jar Jar Tambien? <laughs> mm-hmm. No. See, imagine the threesome in that. No. All right, shall we move on? <laughs> yes. What else is happening? Why was this not a D23 thing, but The Rock is doing Jungle Cruise, which is another attempt by Disney to recreate the magic of Pirates of the Caribbean theme ride stroke movie blockbuster. It sounds an awful lot like The African Queen. The the ride, you just kind of go down a river and there's animals, and then there's a voiceover. If it means that at some point in the script, The Rock punches like an anaconda, I think we're all on board. Yes. Or a hippo. Chris, (laughs) No. I can see you trying it, to come Chris. up with the double entendre or just single entendre. And I think maybe you shouldn't. I think the moment has passed. There is some news here of a long lost property that has been found again and is uh, starting shooting right now uh, in Northern Ireland. Really? It's a lost city of said, <laughs> uh, which has been mooted for years and years and years. Lots of different directors and lots of different actors, including at one point, uh, Ben Lynn Cumberbund was going to be uh, one of the stars of this movie. Mm. Uh, it is now uh, directed by James Gray uh, and is currently shooting, starring Robert Pattinson, Charlie Hunnam, Sienna Miller and Tom Holland, the new Spider-Man. Oh, hooray. That's an interesting mm. addition to the cast. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm intrigued by this. James, And this is the first time James Gray, who usually specialises in quite morose American melodramas, very good morose American melodramas. This is his first, I guess, major big budget, big location, big stars. I'm very intrigued by it. I'm, I'm wondering what bits of a story set in the rainforest you you shoot in Northern Ireland. but The bits indoors? The bits indoors would make sense. I yeah. guess, unless you go to Tullymore Forest Park. That's another one for the locals. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah. You think I shoot Jungle Cruise in like Belfast? I, honestly. I mean, down the lagging, you know, you'll see lots of wild animals. Well, why not the river ban? Why not? They didn't come up the ban in a bubble. There you go. I anyway. literally have no idea what you guys just said. This is happening more and more where Helen and I just go after the Northern Irish fiefdom. I apologise. Mm, uh, but, okay, so that, that's intriguing. Mm. Very, very interesting to see what happens with the lost city of said. Okay, here's a, here's a little bit of uh, scuttlebutt. Here's a little bit of uh, rumour-mongering. Uh, so we know that the Oblomkamp's going to do another alien movie. Alien, yes, we do. Alien 5. Mm-hmm. Acid-blooded boogaloo. So, oh, official subtitle and official, everything. My goodness, that's the official yeah. title. So now there's there's talk that it'll be pushed back because Ridley Scott is insisting to make Prometheus two first of Alien five, and he doesn't want Alien five trampling on Prometheus 2's toes. 
This instinctively seems like maybe not the greatest idea because Prometheus, the Martians' latest trailer came out this week and looks awesome mm-hmm. again, as every trailer for that film has. And, you know, I'm I'm willing for at least the next four or five days to entertain the notion that Ridley Scott might be storming back to form. Storming back. And, and that Prometheus 2 could be mm-hmm. really something. So, you know, maybe, I guess. Is it a spoiler to say that it's a film that's going to start with Michael Fassbender's head in a sports bag? <laughs> I mean, that's a tough place to start a film. It's a tough place for us to have left it. Yeah. Uh, so what's he going to what's, what's he going to do? Is Fassbender just going to turn up in a green body stocking? Maybe they could just like <laughs> screw him onto something. Not a euphemism, Chris. No, I'm not saying it's a euphemism. I'm just trying to think. You know, the incredible adventures. Of David's head. That's pretty much what the film is. Yeah. At this point. Plus Nimi Rebase as well. Plus Nimi Rebase, yeah. he's yeah. carrying okay. the sports bag. Be like Weekend at Bernie's only with like a, a living android head. Again, Ridley, if you're listening, we have the perfect direction for your uh, for your movie. <laughs> so, you know, call us anytime. Right, we done? Uh, not quite. Uh, oh, Rebecca Ferguson is in talks to join The Girl on the Train, which is obviously the book of the summer. <laughs> lovely, lovely Rebecca. And she will be joining also lovely Emily Blunt in a sort of... Tom Cruise Survivors Club um, <laughs> who will be he'll be making uh, it's one of those books you don't want to say too much about but they will be adapting what has been the biggest book of the year I think so far wow so that's kind of definitely one to look out for also just very quickly there's a post-apocalyptic Zorro so there you go oh you had to mention it I mean it's going to cross over I assume with a post-apocalyptic Little Woman because that makes sense too. Sorry, what? Yeah. Is this a, is this it's a, a TV series, in fairness, but I feel like there's you know big screen potential there. Is this a movement to just divide every film into <laughs> post-apocalyptic and pre-apocalyptic? Is that the idea? Yeah, you have to either do that or add zombies. <laughs> okay, time now for this week's guest. The Bad Education movie is based on the BBC Three sitcom. It's out this Friday, and its co-writer and star, Jack Whitehall, popped into the pod booth earlier this week to talk about it, and a whole bunch of other stuff, including, but not limited to, his nickname at school, Painting Giles Brandreth's Cat, and the differences between writing stand-up and movies. He was very, very funny, and because we won't have seen it to review for the podcast, I got him to review his own movie. So, <laughs> a huge exclusive. He's properly unbiased. Uh, hard-hitting. Unflinching, actually, wow. uh, I would say. So here, do enjoy the interview with Jack Whitehall. We're delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by Jack Whitehall, star Hello. and writer of the Bad Education movie. How are you, sir? Very good, thank you. Thank you for having me on the Empire Podcast. It's a pleasure to have you on the Empire Podcast. Uh, you're in Empire this month. I know. Uh, in a photograph of you in a dinner jacket, yes. but also in a donkey costume. In a donkey costume mm. from the bottom. Yeah. From the waist down and the neck up. Yeah. Holding um, the donkey's head. Holding the donkey's head. Yeah, it's one of those photos where whenever you do a photo shoot for any kind of magazine, they always want you to do something quirky, especially mm-hmm. if you're a comedian. They mm-hmm. really want you to do something really wacky. So they always suggest props and costumes, and I always, always say that I won't do <laughs> these things. Okay. But that was about three years ago. I was maybe a tad <laughs> more naive, wet behind the ears. And uh, I did a photo shoot, and oh, it gets more and more glamorous for Tatler, which I don't know why I was doing an interview for Tatler in the first place, to be honest, uh, to help sell some tickets in Hampshire. And I did it, and I did it, and the photographer suggested that I would dress up as a donkey in a dinner jacket. And I remember there being loads of people there, like like loads of people on the set going, yeah, it'll be great, you're going to look really, really good. And I remember looking over at my publicist, Jonathan, thinking, is this going to haunt me? And he went, no, it's fine, Tyler. And he has, has a circulation of about five <laughs> posh people, all of whom you know, 
so it's, so it's all right. So I did it. I got in yeah. a donkey costume. Yeah. And it's on the front of the BA in-flight entertainment magazine. Which is only seen by, what, hundreds of thousands of people? Hundreds of thousands of people <laughs> travelling every day. It is in Empire. Yeah. The most is. popular movie-based magazine uh-huh. in the nation. Uh, on the planet. So on, on the planet. The, yeah, that's, that's, on the that's, planet. Let's really go for it. Oh, yeah. thanks. Really, yeah, really, <laughs> really shame me. Um, so, yes, uh, I've been humiliated on an international scale due to one I think lapse it's a good in judgment. Picture. I like the picture. Uh, it's, um, yeah, but it's also because I look so sultry and serious in this donkey costume. Because I was like, well, if I'm wearing the donkey costume, I'm not pulling a silly face. <laughs> like that would have been the thing that was the nail in the coffin. Um, but no, it's there. I love it. Thank you. Own it. Thank you. For <laughs> no, I don't own it. If I owned it, it would be destroyed. <laughs> the problem is that I don't own it. <laughs> Well, surely at some point the rights will refer to you. And then you can have a mass burning ceremony, put it in a wicker man, yeah. and, <laughs> and do what you will with it. Uh, the Bad Education movie is coming out on... Yes. Uh, it opens on Friday. Yeah. Uh, now, the first screening of it anywhere is the premiere yeah. on Thursday night. So I won't be able to see it in time to review it for this podcast. So I wanted to ask you to review the movie now, uh, in the Empire style. So if you could start off with a, a small recap of the plot, then a quick review of the film, Great. and then a verdict, and give it a star rating. Oh, that's hard. The star rating <laughs> will be hard to give to one's own work. Well, the, the plot, my character Alfie, who's the worst teacher on the planet, uh, takes his kids, who are probably the worst class on the planet, to Cornwall for a school trip, and it goes disastrously wrong. They end up becoming embroiled with a group of Cornish terrorists who want an independent <laughs> Cornwall, and the film ends with what can best be described as Cornwall's version of Braveheart, with <laughs> Alfie, my character, pinned as William Wallace. <laughs> Fantastic. And now, a, a quick review. Well, it's odd. Um, <laughs> I mean, it starts off very much as one might expect from these TV sitcom to film transitions. <laughs> they all go on a holiday. But then <laughs> the writers have bizarrely decided to take it off on a strange... <laughs> tangential polemic for Cornish independence, which no one saw coming. But the writers thought it would be a really funny um, thing to, to hang it on because yeah. last year there was a lot of talk of the Scottish referendum and Scottish independence mm-hmm. and no one was listening to the Cornish voice in all of that. And I read all these articles, including one amazing <laughs> article online about the existence of Cornish terrorists. And I thought I they have to be the villains in our, in, our, in our film. And Ian Glenn plays Pasco Trevelyan, who is their leader. And he is insanely good. And so, yeah, it's it's so British, this film. Yeah. Like, a lot of people make these films and you're told at every juncture, please, can you keep an eye on an American audience or an international audience, whether it be with casting or story or anything that can, can, can be appealing to them. I mean, we have shut every door in terms of that. <laughs> this is such a British film. It's such a British comedy. You'd need to know a lot about Cornwall and pasties and... Uh, yeah. <laughs> we mentioned the Wicker Man before. There's a big Wicker Man sequence as well, Fantastic. which uh, is when they first arrive in Cornwall. And, and Joe, Joe, who's one of the kids, his mother has insisted she come on the school ship as well, which right. Alfie is devastated yeah. about. <laughs> and uh, they arrive in this little Cornish town of Port Jago and they witness the Port Jago summer solstice parade, which is just, they've walked directly out of the Wicker Man. In fact, we wanted to have my father dressed as Christopher Lee in the parade, in that yellow dress and the long hair. And uh, when I showed him the costume, he vetoed that idea. But we do have someone dressed as Christopher Lee walking through the parade. Amazing. A fitting tribute. <laughs> Were you worried about uh, a response from Cornish terrorists? Because they sound like scary dudes. They do sound like scary yeah. dudes. There All could right. have been some 
stuff um, <laughs> sent in the post, or I don't know. You don't even, what you're, not, you're not prepared to comment. <laughs> no, I'm not prepared to comment. <laughs> I want to keep them on the side. So let's uh, let's wrap up the uh, the review with a a poster quote esque pithy verdict. Funny, peculiar. <laughs> I like it. And now the star rating. The what would star you give rating. out of five? Oh. Well, I'm going to say, well, I don't want, there's, there's no, no good can come of this. Literally no good can come of this. Should we settle on four? We'll settle on four. Give me your movie four. I'll give my own movie four. <laughs> oh, no, no, I can't say five. Of course you can say five. No, I think it's really, really good. <laughs> okay, good. It's not awesome. Blade Runner. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really funny and it's really fun. Fantastic. Thank you for that. That was that's very useful. Um, you mentioned you have you did you jot it down? I don't. That it's, goes we in. We recorded right? this. We yeah, really hit the yeah. We'll take it off. This will be fine. Oh, good. This will go up on the website. Thank you. People will be looking at it, going, "This is a good review of uh, the Bad Education <laughs> movie." Nice who wrote it, Jack Whitehall. <laughs> what the hell? Um, so you mentioned at the beginning that there are pitfalls and perils of the TV adaptation. Yeah, and I guess they've been superseded or, or in recently by the Inbetweeners movies mm. and the Alan Partridge movie as well. You must still have been conscious of that going into this. What were what, what were the things to avoid? I think yeah, and I think that extended episode problem is something that you you feel constantly when you're writing it. And you're you're so worried about it, and we were worried about it throughout the whole process. You just have to be so strict with yourself and make sure that even if your story is ludicrous like ours is, you you ha- the audience has to be engaged in it. And uh, yeah, I think that's ge- genuinely one of the things I'm proudest of with this film is is you know it's definitely funny and. I think we always knew that we could write the big sort of gross-out comedy set pieces. But I think the story really does work and it rattles along and by the end you are really engaged. And the last 20 minutes is my favourite section of the film. Um, and it's so such a departure from, from the TV show. It's, it's literally me just writing an epic climax to an action-adventure film. Sword fights, battle sequences. <laughs> it's, it's everything I've ever wanted to do and, uh, and more. And so, yeah, you just have to be really strict with yourself, though. And if at any point it is feeling like it was episodic, you have to, whether it be in the writing process, you need to cut it down and edit it, or in the, in the editing suite as well, you need to just, just be really strict with yourself. I guess in terms of uh, working for the BBC, writing for the BBC, is that slightly different than when you're writing for a film? Are there strictures? That are, even, even when you're out on BBC Three, which seems quite out there at times, are there things you can't do? Yeah, definitely. There's um, there's a lot of stuff you that you that you can't get away with on the BBC that you can do on this. Right. Um, for example, the the film opens uh, the year before um, uh, the story starts um, in Amsterdam um, in the Anne Frank Museum when they're having their school trip the year before, and Alfie is um, spiked by Mitchell with some magic mushrooms and he begins hallucinating and thinks that a waxwork model of Anne Frank is alive and wants to escape the museum so the opening of the film is him being pursued through the streets of Amsterdam with Anne Frank under his arm he steals a bicycle and it ends up in a kind of E.T. <laughs> Excellent. That's going back to what you so said. So you wouldn't be able to do that. You wouldn't be able to do that. They maybe would. We weren't even allowed to do it to the Anne Frank Museum, to be honest. <laughs> had to find a fake one in Amsterdam. A fake Anne Frank Museum? Yeah. Are there loads of loads dotted around Amsterdam, or did you have to build it? There was that day, and there was a few people that were queuing up for real. I think just saw the queue and because we didn't, we didn't, we weren't very good at shutting down the whole city. I don't think we had the budget to do so. So there was quite a lot of um, people that witnessed this and thought it was happening for real, <laughs> which was quite traumatic, I imagine, for them. So on BBC Three, if you even wrote that joke, someone would go... <laughs> no. Yes, that would have had a no. big red mark through it. Is the writing process <laughs> different for you, whether it's stand-up, a film, or TV? Uh, does, it, does it change at all? Yeah, stand-up is very different to write, because it's <laughs> a... Um, you can't sit down and write to a brief. It's, they sort of, ideas for that sort of come to you as you're walking around, and you 
stick them down in the notes of your phone and then elaborate on them and get on stage. It's a it's a it's a it's a very very different writing process. I think to writing sitcom or, or film where you do really want to sit in a room with my co-writer in my case and just hammer it out and send it to a script editor and have it sent back to you and it's uh yeah it's a very different process how do you gauge things with stand-up you may obviously know whether you think it's funny but can you can you perform it to a small group of friends and get feedback yeah and- well not as much that that is that's a it's a good question because you with stand-up you do very much slip routines into conversation or into life and <laughs> and uh and you and you try to t- test the water with them that way. Whereas with with a script, it's far harder to to do that. So there's an element of talk. You can talk to people about things, and you can get people to read them. We had we got a big sort of writing team involved with the film. Me and Freddie write it. We have Ben, our producer, who's, who was a script editor, and he, he produces it quite closely. And then we had Jeremy Dyson, who wrote on the League of Gentlemen, who is our main script editor, and then Dan Swimer, who wrote. Um, Grandma's House with Simon Amstor, who's another writer that I work with a lot, who who does another script edit pass. And then uh, Richard Curtis as well read it a couple of times and gave us some notes. So we had an amazing... It's not a bad group of people. It's a, <laughs> I know, it's so good. And they're, you know, giving notes on silly jokes about me putting my balls on swans. So it all seems ludicrous. But they're, they're very, very helpful. And they're, you know, having those kind of people, that's your sounding board, really. All different sensibilities as well. I imagine Richard Curtis's notes are very different from Jeremy Dyson's. Yeah, no, totally. Richard was very good on uh, the relationships and the character. Jeremy Dyson was very good on the Wicker Man. (laughs) 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 And other things. Uh, There's there's a couple of things I wanted to ask you about specifically. You posted a picture on Twitter the other day of Harry Enfield (laughs) with your character's fake testicles. Yeah. And you've mentioned testicles already. Yeah. What's happening? So that was the, that's the sequence where um, I go and visit all of my posh friends from school who live in a big house in Cornwall for them, and they're having this big house party. So I take all the kids down there. They're horrible, and they have, play this game called pube or dare, okay. where you either do a dare or the lads hold you down and rip out a handful of your pubes, <laughs> and uh, they pube or dare me to teabag a swan in front of everyone <laughs> at the party, and I do it. And uh, the the prosthetic (laughs) testicles were the prosthetic testicles that were used to drop onto the bill of the swan. And there's two sets of them because we needed a spare pair in case the swan got hold of them. So there's two two sets. And I gave them to Harry one day on on set and he he put them on his earrings. And of course he went down the TV to film route as well with Kevin and Perry. Yeah, he did, yeah. Did you uh, chat to him about that? Did he have any advice for you, things to avoid? Yes, he did have advice, and and I do remember heeding the advice, but I genuinely can't remember what the advice was Don't right now. Don't you bag a swan? Don't you <laughs> a swan? No, but he definitely did. He definitely did learn quite a lot from that process. I think he said it was very stressful and, and a hard thing to do and a hard thing to get right. But Harry's great. He's such a brilliantly funny man, and and so I mean he's a genius. He's a comedy genius and one of my heroes. He's a great improviser, which is something I've definitely learned to, to allow him to do that because it's very hard as a writer when someone's completely changing your script initially we're like well yeah but i've written this and i've worked this all and through and this is this is this is good this is funny and yeah. so you want him to do it like it's scripted and then you get him to do his improvised version and you're like well this isn't as good as what i wrote <laughs> and then you get to the editing suite and you watch it with some distance and you're like oh no his improvisation is hilarious okay so we're gonna go with that so a lot of the stuff he does in the film is harry being harry That's and he's it. so funny so you've yeah. got to learning make me look better in the end. He is amazing. Do, when, you, when you're writing the script, do you act out all the roles? Yeah, well, me and Freddie, when we read it, we, we act out the roles. He mm. plays most of the women. 
and uh, <laughs> I played uh, Ian Glenn's part. <laughs> we, we, the one we both love doing is Harry, who okay. plays my dad, because he's a composite of my dad, <clears throat> Freddie, the other writer's dad. So we just uh, we enjoy reading out his, his weird flights of fancy. Do you do Harry Anfield's voice? Do you do your dad's voice? What do you? What I do, do Harry's Harry's voice of my right. dad, which is what he does. <laughs> it's a really fun sequence where yeah. we just got to write some extra jokes for Harry as well, which he came in and did a couple of weeks ago in the ADR suite, which was so funny to listen to. 30 takes of Harry Enfield doing jokes about catching crabs in Cornwall. was... <laughs> <laughs> A joy to behold. Can't wait to see it. You should it. release them. You should release that. Yeah, absolutely you should. There's also uh, a clip out there on the interwebs um, of you doing, deliberately, I must say, the worst Cornish accent yeah. in the history of mankind. Yeah. Can you actually do a Cornish accent just to put Cornish people's minds at ease? I can do quite good West Country, I think, because <laughs> I grew up in, uh, in Marlborough. Okay. She's near Bristol. Yeah. Bristol. So <laughs> I can do an adequate West Country accent. Uh-huh. And then do you Which just, I don't think is quite Cornish enough. Not quite, but then do you want to uh, multiply that by 10? I don't, uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's quite hard, though. Okay. There was a lot of Cornish accents in the film. Some of them had to be redone. Oh. I want to think England's England. was perfect. <laughs> of course it was. He is just the best. He's my favourite actor. I was so happy he came and did it. He turned up and he was so good. And he's so intense and so scary. <laughs> and then very funny as well. Who knew? Who knew indeed? I wanted to know what it was like for you, uh, because I'm sure walking around the London Underground in the past, you've seen posters w- with your face on it, you yeah. know, come and see your shows. Is it different when you see a poster for a film with your name emblazoned on the top? I mean, it's so exciting. And it's, uh, I love the poster as well. They showed us a load of posters that were all sort of quirky, very British comedy. You know, me with an ice cream on my head, sort of looking put upon by the seaside. It made my skin crawl because you're like, that's not, I really don't want to sell it as that because I don't think it is that. So yeah. I was like, go away, look at some Indiana Jones posters, look at Mad Max. I want that was slightly it? undercut by was the, the comedy in Cornwall. That, that's what this is. This film is my dream action film, but yeah. set in Cornwall. <laughs> Because not enough action films are set in Cornwall. This could be the first. Yeah. Do you see this as a part of a start of a trilogy? Oh. <laughs> yeah. yeah, maybe we'll go back and do the genesis of Ian Glenn's character. <laughs> what made him become a Cornish terrorist. Jack, I've got, I've got to let you go in a few seconds, but we have something on the podcast called the IMD Bunker, which is, is usually a lot of nonsense written by people uh, in the, on the trivia page of the IMDb. I wanted to run past you a couple of things, yeah. see whether they're true or not. As a teenager, Jack was commissioned to paint a picture of Giles Brandreth's cat. Fact. Fact. Yeah. Right, you have to tell me about that. What, 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 how, what, I, when? I did a bit of art as a, as a youngster, and one of the things I did was portraits of people. So I would try and find people that were willing to let me paint a portrait of them. We met Giles Brandreth. He lived near us in Barnes. My backstory, by the way, is a bit like if you've seen that film Straight Out of Compton, it was yes. very similar, my background. <laughs> so I was in Barnes and I met Giles Brandreth and he asked me to paint his wife's cat. So That's, weirdly enough, and a, a storyline in Straight Out of Compton. Yeah. <laughs> so Easy E. Doesn't he meet Giles Brandreth as well <laughs> early on in his career? And Giles asked him to come around and rap about his cat. So yeah, and then Michelle, Giles' lovely wife, um, insisted that I did sittings with the cat. So I wasn't allowed to do it from photos. I had to go around to their house three times on Uh three occasions and sit there and paint this cat which wouldn't sit still and <laughs> was just a black cat. So, I mean, I could definitely could have done it. Yeah, can you just draw on a black cat and go on, there you go, done. Yeah. Do 
you still have the painting? Does he have the painting? I think, no, they do still have the painting. They also had a painting of their cat that they said was done by Lowry. But Lowry <laughs> definitely died in the 60s. So this cat was either ancient or they were lying. You auditioned for the title character of Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Yep. Now, were you auditioning for Harry Potter or the Philosopher's Stone? It doesn't, it doesn't say make Hermione. Yeah. <laughs> Fancied my chances. I uh, no, I auditioned for Harry and I didn't didn't get it. How well, obviously, I didn't get it. <laughs> you would you would know that. I mean, even a non-film buff might know that I didn't play Harry Potter. But just to clear things up, I didn't get that part. You didn't get that part. Okay. Well, actually, uh, I could have said I did. Yeah, no, I did get it, but I turned it down because I had other commitments. There was a cat that needed painting. <laughs> How close did you get? To, to snag in the role not very and close. changing Daniel Radcliffe's life forever I hadn't read the book so I think ah. that was the major issue when I went into the audition have you that read the book since? Frowned upon yes you have okay the Good. first two the fr- oh you haven't you haven't read the rest then the films came out Oh, you stop. See, you need to read the books. Yeah, the books are good. Trust me. Trust me on that one. And this one, I'm guessing you've heard former classmate of Robert Pattinson. That is a fact. That is Correct, an yeah. indisputable fact. He auditioned for Harry Potter and he got the part. <laughs> he did get the part. He was great in that But role. Henry Cable didn't. Oh. There we go. So, oh. Did basically everyone in your class auditioned for Harry Potter? Uh, yeah. Well, Hermione was at my school. That's amazing. She's at the, the next school I went to. And she did get it. <laughs> she did get it. Yeah, no, her name isn't. Her name is Emma Watson. Emma Watson. Sorry, yes. I didn't call her Hermione. Yeah, it's a it's a blurring of uh, a blurring fact, of fiction. Fact. Yeah, yeah. It, it so can two people I went to school with got into Harry Potter, and you didn't. No, I didn't. Am I sensing any residual anger about that? No, but maybe that will be my next thing. I'll write um, a film about a wizard. That'd be quite funny, actually. A sort of washed up wizard. No yeah. one's done the sort of comic take on on Harry Potter. It's always it's always fun to be uh, at the be somewhere at the, the birth of an idea. I think we may have just come up with quite a good idea. I feel very privileged to have been here Thank you for very this much. moment. Uh, and before I let you go, I'm going to ask the one last question, which is, what was Mr. Pattinson's nickname at school? It wasn't our Pats, I'm guessing. To be honest, I wasn't part of the inner circle. So Ooh. even if he had had a nickname, I don't think I would have been allowed to call him it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sir? <laughs> Milad? Um, no, I mean, I didn't go to school in the... 18th century. I don't know why I said those things. Um, Robert, probably Rob. Yeah. What was your What was yours? I do have one. Okay. I was called um, Scabby because um, I fell out of my bed in my dorm at boarding school, and I cut over my head and had a big scab on my head. So everyone called me Scabby. Oh my god! And it just came back to haunt you forever. Like yeah. like the donkey. Picture, like the donkey picture, and on that bombshell. Oh. <laughs> Lovely symmetry to this. Circular. I love it. I love it. Jack Whitehall. It's been an absolute pleasure. You can call me Scabby if you want. Scabby, can I? Oh, God, the memories. Uh, No, please don't. I won't call you that. Jack, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay, let's start the review section, not with bad education, because I think Jack Whitehall absolutely nailed it. Four (laughs) stars, funny, peculiar. It sounds great to me. Go and see it. Um, But with Vacation, which is another comedy, uh, this one reboots the former National Lampoon franchise, uh, The Griswolds, are off on holiday again, but this time with a bit of a twist. So Rusty Griswold, son of the original Clark Griswold, is now the paterfamilias uh, who is leading his gang on holiday. Uh, Christina Applegate plays his wife. As the film points out, it's completely different because they have two sons, not a son and a daughter. So that's a big twist on the formula. But he does decide that they should go to Wally World. So it is another cross-country trip, essentially along Route 66, from Chicago area to California. As you'd expect, they once again run into all manner of difficulties along the way, including swimming in raw sewage. That would be me. I've been swimming in raw sewage. I love it. 
<laughs> yes, they also obviously get uh, their stuff stolen. They seem to get in a fight with a dual-style trucker. They go on a disastrous whitewater rafting trip. They also visit Rusty's parents. So mm-hmm. there's a little cameo. Oh, Clark and Ellen. Indeed. And his sister, who is now played by Leslie Mann, who is married to Chris Hemsworth, doing what I think it's fair to say is not the greatest Texan accent is in the history of the world. Is it deliberately not the greatest Texan accent, do you think? Let's say yes. <laughs> Actually, I think they threw a lot of different jokes at his character and they don't all land. So he's meant to be like really right wing. He's meant to be a weatherman. He keeps using the word faucet for no obvious reason in his in his sort of colloquialisms and anecdotes. He walks around naked, which was okay. He seems to have a crush on Christine Applegate's character, whose name I don't even remember because she made that much of an impact. Could be Debbie. Valerie. Uh, Valerie. No, I'm, I'm guessing. Okay. He has a, an enormous, um, well... Um, uh, Penis. Yes. And he herds cows. With it? He probably could, but not that we see, no. So, like, there's a hell of a lot going on there where Leslie Mann's character has almost nothing to do. And it just seems a bit maybe like they could have just done another draft and tried to streamline things a little bit. They, of course, being John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein. That's correct. Who were the writers and directors, previous writers of the Horrible Bosses movies. And now the writers of the new Spider-Man reboot, which is interesting because that's got a John Hughes vibe. That's what Kevin Feige wants. And this is obviously a take on John Hughes' characters. There are moments of John Hughesiness here with the older son who's a kind of sensitive sort who has a crush on a girl and gets bullied by his little brother. Right. So there's a little bit of Hughesiness. I wouldn't rule them out from that. But I do think that this is scattershot in the extreme and that while there are moments that you will laugh at, there are far more moments that are cringy but not funny and just so many jokes that don't land. Uh, so I feel like it's just not quite as good as it should be. Bit of a shame. Two stars for Vacation, which, let's be honest, the outlier that is Christmas Vacation aside keeps up the quality of the franchise. <laughs> Bit of a shame still. So, next up we have The Wolf Pack, uh, which is a fascinating documentary about a group of um, interesting kids, isn't it? Hell's Bells. Yeah, not quite kids anymore, I guess, but they're, no. a, they're a family who were raised by a, a rather religious father and have essentially lived an isolated life where they're kind of cut off from everyone, really. They, mm. they basically stay in their Manhattan apartment they're homeschooled there and they watch a lot of movies though and they spend their time kind of recreating these movies in their own house with whatever they can beg, borrow or steal to kind of serve as props or costumes or everything else. They've all got this crazy, gorgeous long hair, all the boys as well as the girls. They have a slightly odd outlook on life because they're just quite innocent and quite sheltered and quite withdrawn from the world, it's just fascinating to to sort of see these people and to be allowed into what is clearly quite a closed-off life. The film maybe could do with pushing a little bit on, on how this all came about and, and what their lives are like in, in the detail. But even what we see here is is really kind of compelling and quite fascinating. And the brothers themselves, they're just very sweet, innocent young men, so it, they're quite likeable. You just kind of wish the best for them and, and you just hope that they can make it in the outside world, I guess. So what's, this was four stars from us. the best? looking movie recreation that they do looks wise none of them are exactly wonderful we're talking kind of sweeting here but they do have a, a real taste for and a flair for tarantino they've got the suits so reservoir dogs looks pretty cool yeah they were knocking around town as well this week yeah they've they have now emerged i think they i don't have. think that's too much of a spoiler i had to chase them away from my front door the other night <laughs> are they the busker that you keep complaining about on the Twitter? busker no he's 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 been taken care of what do you mean he's been taken care of helen that's all you need hey, to know. But, that's all you need to know helen uh, last but not least, Escobar, Paradise Lost, is a thriller about a young Canadian played by Josh Hutcherson who gets mixed up in Pablo Escobar's criminal regime. 
Pablo Escobar, in this case, being played by Benicio del Toro. Exactly. Mm. In his, in one of his, one of his sort of narc thrillers of this year, because obviously he's in Sicario as well. He is. Um, and this is one of those unusual narc thriller stroke romances. <laughs> which is a pretty small genre, subgenre, based on a true story, but kind of not really. George Hudson, as you say, plays a Canadian surfer who falls for a girl whilst he's in Colombia. Claudia Troyazak, I think is how you say it. It's probably not how you say it. It's probably not. No, but um, he falls for her. And then guess what? It goes well. But then guess what? <laughs> she turns out to be Pablo Escobar's niece. No. Yeah. No. So there's some awkward moments at the family dinner table. And it, it basically flashes back to this kid having to do some of Escobar's dirty work for him. You see how it unfolds from there. He's trapped in a particularly hideous scenario. And it becomes a kind of, not really an action thriller, but a, a, a paranoid thriller uh, in, his, in his last half as he goes on the run from Escobar's men. And it becomes quite effective towards the end, actually. It's, it, it doesn't go in quite the direction you might expect it to go, especially given as inspired by real events. <laughs> Got a good performance from Benicio del Toro, who is really not that much in it. It's more about his presence. Yeah, and Josh Hutchison holds his own um, against an acting heavyweight like Benicio del Toro, but ultimately it's a little unsatisfying, which is why we gave it two stars. Also out this week, it's a whole ton of other stuff, including Sinister 2, the sequel to Sinister, which we haven't seen yet, but it's anywhere between one and five stars. Uh, the Bad <laughs> Education movie, again, we haven't seen it yet, but Jack Whitehall says it's four stars, and who are we to argue with the star and co-writer of his own movie? Uh, Pressure, Danny Houston's aforementioned movie. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good, actually. It's four men trapped in a pressurised diving bell 700 feet below the surface of the ocean. And the ship that they're attached to has to move off because of a storm. So uh, how do they survive and how will they get back up to the surface? Ooh, pressure. Pressure. Quite tense. Not maybe as as sharp as you really need it to be in that kind of a claustrophobic situation. But really good performances. It's Danny Houston and Matthew Good leading the cast. So that's pretty solid hands. And we give it three stars. Does anyone say at any point in the film, Houston, we have a problem. And then looked right at the camera. <laughs> no, because his character name is Engel. On. Uh, missed opportunity. Uh, yeah, a little bit. Uh, Gemma Bovary, uh, starring Gemma Arterton and uh, Jason Fleming, is also out this week. That gets uh, three stars. And Looking for Love, which is a documentary about relationships in the black British community, uh, also gets three stars as well. It's a bumper week at the old cineplexes. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by the new transporter and Ooh. future Deadpool bad guy, Ed Skrine. Hopefully, unlike some people, he'll arrive on time. Oh. <laughs> uh, until then, it's goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil. You literally just got here. <laughs> okay, bye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to finish my Gravity Deep Impact Santa Claus the movie slash fiction. Uh, BZ has just entered, and things are getting a little bit interesting. Candy canes, is all I'm going to say. See you next week. 